you're listening to Cosmic Tonic. Oh, yeah. Uh, okay, let me say that again. <laughs> Cosmic Tonic. Hello, thanks for tuning in to the Cosmic Tonic podcast. In this episode, we speak with Bear River about the archetype and asteroid goddess Vesta. If you like what we do, please leave us a five-star rating, write a review, or share the podcast with your friends. We appreciate it. And there's a couple different ways you can listen to us. One way is on your favorite podcast app or by subscribing to us on YouTube. As you know, we are committed to bringing you the best content related to astrology and the occult. We are fully funded by viewer support, so feel free to support our podcast by visiting our donation link at the bottom of our homepage at www.cosmictonic.com. And another announcement, Cosmic Tonic will be raffling off one 60-minute reading with the three of us per month from September to the end of December. To enter, please go to the top menu bar of our homepage to register by email. Again, that website is www.cosmictonic.com. We'll reach out to you mid-September to let you know if you won. Thanks for being here and enjoy the show. Okay. All right. So we are we are gathered today <laughs> to talk about the asteroid and the archetype of Vesta. And we have our friend Bear River here to, to help us, to help us out. So before we get into Vesta, maybe you could start by introducing yourself, Bear, and telling us a little about your approach to astrology, at least right now. The latest. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm Bear River and I'm so excited to be here. Thank you all so much for inviting me to chat this morning. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I am an astrologer. I have a very mixed hybrid practice. So I am certified in uh, Hellenistic astrology, electional astrology through Chris Brennan and um, horary practitioner through school traditional astrology. Like a lot of elder millennials, I got my start with skyscript.co and astro.com and uh, kind of menagerie of psychological and evolutionary astrology flavored practices as a youngster. Um, right now, my practice is very much in flux based on my kind of polytheistic pagan type of practice as I've gotten more into um, worshiping or propitiating the planetary intelligences. So those some folks might know about like the Orphic hymns or saying prayers to the planet so that each day of the week is associated with the planet. For the last year and a half or so, I've maintained that practice every single, almost every single morning at sunrise, connecting with that appropriate planet. And so from there it's become much more, much more pagan, much more polytheistic as I've approached each planet as a intelligence and started to connect with the deities associated with them. And through that, um, you know, a lot of folks will know that we take some of the names from the Greeks, some of the names from the Romans, and that a lot of our Western astrology is based in Hellenic practice or Greek practice or the Greek pantheon. Um, and so from there, that's how I started working more with Vesta, um, because I do have a bit of a modern hybrid practice. I do look at asteroids and nodes and the outer planets 
when I'm looking at client charts. Um, but I do also look at whole sign. And so realizing, oh, wait, that Vesta whole sign's in the first house. Oh, my goodness. Vesta's right on my ascendant. Oh, my goodness. I have asteroids that are very tightly configured, my angles and my luminaries. Oh, okay. Maybe I'm being called to do a little bit more of the worshipful side of astrology. So right now, my practice is very much about bringing that Vesta archetype, which we'll talk about. Um, I'll say in brief, it feels like setting a sacred container, making spaces sacred, um, and bringing that to the forefront of my practice, whether that's with clients, whether that's in lecturing, um, and really working to bring that into the way that I engage the astrological community as a whole, which also feels very befitting for Vesta. Thank you, Bear, for that rich introduction. Um, so I am curious how you were alerted perhaps to Vesta on your ascendant or how, how that relationship was first, um, let's see, manifested in your life or how it came to be. And, but I'm also curious how, how you see this archetype. Like you, you mentioned a few key notes already, such as, um, the, this association with creating a sacred container, but maybe you could both share a little of your origin story with, with Vesta as an archetype, but also um, how you relate to the, the wider myth that surrounds that deity. Yeah, so it's been kind of this slow introduction to Vesta um, over the years. I came up in the San Francisco Bay Area. I've been here since I was a teenager. Um, I've been like out and queer and running around these parts since I was a teenager. And I'll hear this a bit of a running joke that like astrology is like just part of the native tongue of being queer out here. Um, so there's a lot of folks who are just like around it, even if they didn't believe in it or care about it. Um, and so especially running around with, you know, my younger, younger years, early college days with a lot of radical feminist queer folks, um, there was a lot of emphasis on reclaiming, very rightfully so, reclaiming feminine archetypes in a way that's empowering. So a lot of my friends, you know, are reading like women who run with wolves and having a lot of conversations around that. I was really fortunate to get to sit in on a female sexuality uh, decal. So a democratic education class at Cal, students were allowed to create their own classes with the faculty sponsor. I did not go to UC Berkeley, but I was able to sit in on this course for a semester. And um, so there were some talks about matriarchy and goddess culture there. And so got hit to like, there are some stories from the Greeks and the Romans that are clearly misappropriations of early um, matriarchal cultures and myths. And if you dig into them correctly, you'll, you'll be able to see that. And I've always had a passion for mythology and storytelling. Um, my, the indigenous side of my family is the matrilineal people. So I've always leaned that way instinctively anyways, like whoever your dad is, whatever that, that thing is like, they're, they're, when it comes to the two contributors of our genetic material, one person, they could be mysterious. The other person, very unambiguous. Um, for those of us who have the fortune to be raised by our biological families. Um, so matriarchy, matrilineal cultures, all that really hit. And then over the years, just looking at finding more points to look at in the chart, what's up with the asteroids, 
um, you know, reading different articles from Dimitri George, started looking and noticing why I slept on Vesta for so long. I don't know. I think you just have to be ready for certain things to actually, for them to click, uh, click into place. Initially, I connected with the idea of like, oh, you know, Vesta, sacred sexuality, um, based on the friends that I was around. I was like, yeah, you know, I took a vow of celibacy at a rather young age, and I've always had a very um, religious and spiritual. I took a vow of celibacy at a young age, which is not really something a lot of teenage uh, people would do, much less teenage people with a lot of testosterone coursing through their system. Um, and so that was my initial outlet, but Vesta really didn't unlock until I started to understand that the virginity myth uh, actually had to do with the Vestals being not property of their fathers to later be exchanged to their husbands, that they owned themselves. Um, <clears throat> this year, I had the good fortune of sitting in a session with Jen Zart uh, to talk about Vesta and picked up some Vestal materia from her and I've been looking at that sovereignty access point and from there the connection between like sovereignty sacred spaces and I'm going to use the word sterility I don't have a better word the way that Jen transmitted this to me which makes a lot of sense if we think about um, you know so there's Vesta and there's Hestia and we can get into that some more so generally speaking we can talk about how the two relate in terms of um these were ladies who were in service to the empire. They were in service to, um, if we're talking about the human priestesses, not the, the goddess type. Um, the Vestals were people who were not supposed to appropriate and make babies. That was definitely part of the oath. Um, whether or not they could have sex, that's a whole separate thing. They definitely weren't property and they could own property, which is super rare back then for women. All of those are really key fundamental points. And then they're like in service at the temple, performing rites that are connected to the hearth. And so if we think about making like, um, you know, as anybody who's doing magic, like making your operating theater sterile or anyone who's doing medicine, making your operating theater sterile. Um, or even like if we think about brewing beer or making bread, if you're gonna create a starter, you need a sterile container for that starter so that the right bacteria, the right little buggies do their thing. So you get something that has the effect you want, that makes you tipsy, not hallucinating, that gives you good bread, not like, what is it, ergot that made people go totally uh, lose, their, lose touch with reality in a way. Um, so that's a little bit about best. I feel like that's like a good jumping off point for other people to interject about other festa words. <laughs> Sorry, I was just, uh, I didn't want to like pounce in, but that's what I do. So <laughs> I, I shall pounce. Um, yeah, okay, you said so much there. And I, I want to I wanna highlight on this idea or um, like tease out this idea of ster sterility. It's an interesting word, isn't it? Because like we make something sterile before, as you said, we perform a surgical operation, but it also does refer to barrenness to, um, you know, a, a person who's sterile to, to sterilize someone is like quite a, quite a nefarious way actually of, of um, like, well, making sure they don't reproduce. So it's a, that's an interesting word, um, but it, it does speak to this idea that we do often associate with, Vesta through the root of virginity, which yes, we can question, 
um, and undermine a little bit here, but that, that idea of purity. And I've been holding this in mind lately, just thinking about fire. Because Vesta, like what I love about Vesta is that because her myth, Vesta and Hestia both, because their myths are so scarce in the canon, often in in temples, they weren't represented by an embodied statue. So it wasn't like Athena. You didn't have the statue of Vesta or Hestia often that you prayed to. It was simply a fire. It was simply a hearth. So there's this sense that Vesta is is fire, like that they are co-equal in this way. That Vesta is the torch, Vesta is the flame, the sacred flame. And um, what does fire do but purify? You know, if you're a teenager and you want to pierce your ears, everyone knows that you you burn, yeah, you burn the needle in the the lighter flame. Um, But I also think about how, you know, in these ancient, you know, I think about my brother did the Camino de Santiago a few years ago. And at the very end, you, you, you arrive at this cathedral and they have these huge incense sensors swaying over the cathedral because historically the pilgrims would arrive and they would smell really bad. And so the sensors would be used to, to disperse the smoke to make the temple, the cathedral smell better. That's one of the purposes. So there is this sense that we... We cleanse and purify through fire. And yes, that can have um, a really rigid and um, a misogynist like, um, side to it, but not necessarily. And I, I think also celibacy, like I want to talk about that more. I think that celibacy, can't, is it, that's an interesting devotional practice of its own right. It doesn't have to, to mean... Um, um like repression or sexual repression if that makes sense yeah absolutely well and i i like landing too on that piece that just pulled through as well around um sexual repression versus liberation and i know at some point we'll talk more about the sexuality because i've been thinking really a ton about the polarity of the madonna and the whore or the virgin versus the consort and i don't know if we want to assign any rulership i know demetra george talks about that a lot if we're looking at virgo versus scorpio and also looking at that glyph you know with virgo it's almost like the sexuality goes inward with the Scorpio, the arrow points outward. So all of that is just so juicy. And I don't want to, I mean, my choice and obsession would be to focus on the sexuality. (laughs) But it's more than that, because there's so much more meaning to sexuality. I mean, it's spiritual, it's divine, it's healing, it's erotic, it's primal it's physical so those are some of the stirrings that are coming up as both of you are speaking around the sterility and the vessel and um yeah so and i'd love to hear what's percolating for jazz too yeah i was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about your psychological process with being celibate and what that was like for you yeah, totally. So, um, like I said, very syncretic practitioner over here. As a youngster, I got into Buddhism. That was like my my foray into spiritual practice. And so I got very militant and zealous as only a 15, 16, 19-year-old 
uh, as only a young person can do, I see now from my mid-30s. Um, so that process was a very, very deliberate choice. Kind of, I'd already gone vegetarian and eliminated any substances, like no chocolate, no tea, um, no coffee, even though I already was like a daily coffee drinker then. And so the step into no celibacy, I didn't know about FESTA then. That was just about um, having faith that the process of meditation and um, cutting through illusion of attachment and aversion was going to, you know, facilitate this awakening processes as the Buddha describes. And so celibacy for me was very much about sitting with the most intense desire. You know, I think somewhere Buddha says to Ananda, someone in the Buddhist canon says that, you know, if, um, if, lust and hatred were both equal in intensity. Like if hatred were actually as potent as lust, no one would ever get enlightened ever. Um, that like this libidinal desire force is so, so potent. And as a horny teenager, um, choosing to, you know, not masturbate, not engage in sexuality, but still try to like have a social life and like maybe hold hands with someone and still engage in flirtation and romance, but not, specifically made me realize that every type of desire arises and then dissipates just like the desire for a donut or chocolate cake or any to itch my nose um you know if you sit in a meditative posture long enough i think it's um another way to get embodied with the very concentration focused parts of meditative practice um because Erotic desire is so, so primal. I love those words, kind of like erotic, primal, and thinking about the connection between, you know, fire, that that is such a, a potent force. And so, like, psychologically, at first, it was incredibly difficult, just like quitting smoking cigarettes, just all-consuming. Here's desire. Oh, my goodness, what do I do with this? How do I get this out of my body? I have, like, I really want to touch myself, but... I'm not, I'm deeply committed to not doing that. Um, like using, I guess, thinking about it through the lens of Vesta now in retrospect, as like, oh, using the physical body, I've got Vesta right there on my ascendant as the sacred container for this process of like working with fire, working with desire to purify one's relationship with desire. Um, but back then I was just like, I'm a hardcore Buddhist. Look at me, I'm celibate. I'm so, you know, 15, 16. Um, but I think from this vantage point, I can see a lot of connections between Festa's um, archetype, particularly thinking about, you know, as, as Eliza was, was speaking to the fact that, you know, Hestia wasn't typically depicted. And if she was, she was like depicted very simply as just a woman with a cloak, um, but almost always just this pure fire. And, you know, in the Hellenic tradition, Hestia is the first of Saturn's or Cronus's children, both firstborn and lastborn. So she's firstborn, first to be swallowed, last to be disgorged. Um, and thinking about fire, you know, Michael Pollan argues that fire is really the thing that separates humans from every other animal. Other animals do have language. They do have culture. They even honor their dead in certain ways, but only humans cook with fire. And that's one of the things that Hestia is about. And then in a lot of cultures, once you're dead, the easiest way to sterilize that and make make the space friendly for the remaining people is to to burn you as well so it feels like a kind of weird full circle but sex leads to birth leads to death leads to as part of the cycle so i feel like that makes sense in a weird way 
Totally. Totally. Well, and I love bringing it back to the celibacy too, because what I'm hearing is a sublimation process of that erotic life force because I don't see it as solely sexual I see it as truly this life-giving force which comes back to that fire and when we channel that sexual energy right we get devotion and we get creativity and service and that pointed focus right which isn't you might have to help me with Eliza isn't hearth the latin word for focus vice Um, versa focus is the latin word for hearth (laughs) perfecto (laughs) yeah and just dedication to work and commitment and yeah so that was interesting to hear that and when we take that time to channel that energy um, and not act on it how is it serving even the greater good oh that's so so rich I feel like connects so many different threads of of Hestia um, and the Vestals as well. You know, a lot of people will connect. A lot of people will first hear something about sacred sexuality and like maternity cults and fertility cults. And so it might seem odd that we're like talking about sterility and barrenness and like sublimating sexual desire. And like what's going on here? And, you know, and talking with Jen about Vesta, she's like, so here's the threat, right? They are, it is a fertility cult but it's the fertility of the supra family of the state of the empire. And so there is that connection with hearth. And I'm thinking, you said the word sublimate. It's like, Oh, right. They're sublimating sexual desire because they're they're As I understand it, their vows were not for life. It was a 30 year term of service. You went in at eight years old and totally still decide to have children at 38. And so there were stories of festivals and you could leave. It was like, you couldn't break your oath. Then you definitely, both parties were burned alive, which makes sense with the fire bit. Um, but you could leave and then go on to have a family. And so there's this like, yeah, sublimation of procreation, sublimation of sexual desire so that we're not focusing our energy towards family family level fertility, but to this like spiritual um spiritual communal level of fertility and so yeah it's like this redirecting that facilitates that and then thinking about hurt and focus just made me think about the fact that the few times the fire did go out you know the fire had to be a completely pure fire and they were said to use a bunch of mirrors to focus the light of the sun uh, because no other way of of starting a fire was a pure enough fire yeah that's so that again, so much there, but I, I, you, you mentioned something that I think is really important to highlight for people. The Vestal Virgins weren't technically free until they'd done their, their tenure, their 30 year time. And as you mentioned, if they did break, at least in in ancient Rome, if they did break that vow of chastity, um, if they did have sex with somebody speaking specifically to ancient Rome, and I think we can say there are earlier iterations of these, of these priestesses and of, of these people who protect the sacred flame, um, which maybe have more of a relationship, more of a literal relationship with the sacred prostitute. But if a Vestal Virgin had um, broke her vow of chastity or let the fire go out, the punishment was being buried alive. And what was in, what's interesting there is that it was considered well, very illegal, but also deeply profane and forbidden to ever kill a Vesta, uh, sorry, a Vestal. So what they would do is they would have this hole under the ground. They would put a little bit of oil and 
um, you know, maybe some honey, something there so they could feed themselves for the first few days, but they would just leave them there. So technically, no one's hand had killed her. She was just left to sort of rot under the earth. Um, but there, <laughs> it is, you know, once we're, once we're getting into the Roman Empire, of course, patriarchy is very much alive. And it's, it's kind of loomed over this, this legacy of, of priestesses and of sisterhood. And I think like Vesta very much to me does relate to this archetype of the priestess or the sister, um, which, which it predates ancient Rome. And it, 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 I think that's where we get some of that more sacred prostitute, like where that, where the sex act itself could be considered the act of purification or the act of absolving somebody else of just like totally accepting someone else. Um, but this, like this talk about priestesses and, and sisterhoods and goddess cults, <laughs> all of it, it does like raise the question that I, that, um, I wanted to ask you, which is, how do you like how do you explore these archetypes of clients while remaining really inclusive around gender and and um you know like and i'm super curious how you specifically relate to you've touched on this already but how you specifically relate to vesta um as someone who who uses he him pronouns like as someone who who identifies as a guy like yeah what's that what's that relationship like yeah, it's um, it's interesting. I'm always questing for some elusive source material that's like, and here's what the dudes did that were like, hey, we're like generally associated with this temple, but we are not allowed in there. And you're also not allowed in there. And this is my job. Um, I don't know that those guys existed. Um, uh, so in terms of client work, I definitely you know, lean in that direction that, that Jen did with me of looking at Vesta as an archetype that's really concerned with sovereignty above all else. There is that like purity, that focus, uh, tending of the hearth. You know, I think the first time I thought about it more simply and I was like, oh, it's like a fire. Oh, it's a fire pit. I am usually the one who starts the fire, you know, in scouts, that's, I think the first thing I learned in scouts. Well, like the first badge I got was fire starter ace that lesson. Um, you know, I grew up in the, as a kid in the Pacific Northwest, um, along the Salish sea in Washington state. And so, you know, it's often very rainy being able to start a fire when you're camping and it's wet conditions is a bit of a feat. Um, and so, you know, I'll talk to people about the idea of like sparking fires, kindling things, tending fire, tending a hearth. Um, you know, I've noticed Vesta show up a lot with folks who are literally bakers uh, uh, or literally engaged in some type of like food production um, as their source of work. People who are deep into brewing or fermenting, people who are working with the idea of like generally bringing forth fertility out of the earth and making it more fertile. Um, but the archetype of sovereignty, I see show up again and again with clients. And so since, uh, since now tending daily, my, my Vestal altar, I see more and more folks who have these tight conjunctions with Vesta or Vesta on the angles. And it, again and again, whether I look at Vesta first or I hear it and then I go look and I go, okay, there we go. Never mind. We're going to just forget all this other astrology stuff. We're talking about Vesta for the rest of the session now. Um, it usually tends to be folks who are 
resolutely committed to their sovereignty in a way where no other thing ever under any circumstances gets to take priority or precedent. So there are folks who are like, I will do anything and everything up to this. It's like that meatloaf song, but I won't do that. Here is my line in the sand. And like, my oath is to me. My oath is to my sacred vow of fill in the blank here. Um, and so I think anybody and everybody can have that. I definitely, you know, I think see that more with more abstractly with queer clients where it's this like unshakable inner knowing about self that facilitates this process of like continually kind of like burning away and purifying the false masks or the like scripts that get adopted. Um, but yeah, then sometimes it is very literal. Just somebody who's like, no, I'm deeply committed to my job. I, any partner who I have to choose them over my work, then like that partnership ends because off to my work I go. And then for me personally, as a man, um, there is like, I don't know, it feels very strange in the same way. Like, and I imagine a lot of uh, white folks would feel talking about engaging in anti-racist work that it's not for me as a man to say that I'm a great feminist and an ally or an accomplice, but I'm deeply committed to dismantling patriarchy and speaking in a way and interacting, choosing to have devotion to feminine principles, to matriarchy, to reclaiming or dis dismantling the patriarchy that has clouded um, accurately understanding history and also these archetypes, I feel like is one way that I can like very subtly that is appropriate, do the good work so that when I'm in a session, I'm giving my client irrespective of their gender and their own experience an access point that's um, a little bit at the very least honest about the limitations of like the data that we have and like, here's the story, but it's the Roman patriarchy. Here's the story, but it's the great, great patriarchy. And like focusing in on these little points of like, yo, these were women back then who were not property. This is huge. Um, that's one way I can like honor the goddess um, in a way that's serving the greater good. Yeah, and it's so power to, powerful, too, how you were talking about the sovereignty and the self. And I think that's a piece that maybe we can give our clients. And it's the path I think we all ultimately on, whether we recognize it or not, this path of self-actualization or realization, individuation. And I was thinking about that, too, in relationship to the hearth and how the hearth oftentimes is the center of the home or it can be... Um, considered the center of the psyche. I know that in Herman Hesse's great work, which he didn't even put under that name, Damien, in the dream work there, the hearth finally, when he arrives within himself, he's in the center of the house or the center of his psyche. And so I find it so interesting when we're working with her, it's almost like we're giving our clients the opportunity to really integrate their wholeness with her at the center because we have to we have to fill our cups too right and and then take from our cups and there's something about well the water fire I don't know but as you were saying that and then the gender component right because we are all feminine and masculine we're all of it whether it's visible to us or not and I 
you'll hear me talk a lot about this on the podcast because I'm obsessed with it because it's like for myself as a woman, it's so easy for me to really embrace my feminine qualities, but it's almost a disservice to the masculine and also how I'm trying to rise that up and be able to do both, you know, be receptive and nurturing, but also um, hold my ground. And so I guess I'm just wondering if that polarity too comes up in your sessions with clients where, especially, I don't know how many male or male identify clients you attract, but it just seems like getting in touch with Vesta also lights their fire in a new way or even with sexuality of like, I do want to be held or like I do have this eroticism as a man or <laughs> I don't know. I'm starting to go all over the place now. I'm getting excited. <laughs> oh, that's, that's so great. There's so many fantastic points there. And I feel like I just like, jotted a couple notes down there thinking about, you know, getting to the center of the psyche and the hearth being the central point in the home then you think about Jason Hawley's uh, pre-conference lecture and his opening keynote for Norwalk this year. And um, I might be conflating the two, but Jason Hawley talking about sect, um, you know, and if we are going to look at in a, in the least gender and genital related way possible, feminine, masculine, or we're going to think about sect, nocturnal and diurnal, there's still twilight. There's still like, there's still both and, neither nor doesn't even apply Hermes in the middle. I get a lot of, a lot of queer clients, mostly women identified, um, but a pretty good smattering of like queer, non-binary, trans, non-cis folks. Um, But I think probably most of my clients are cis women at this point. Um, That being said, I was thinking about um, some of the work that Alice Augustine has been doing around the IC and really like, you know, we have this like diurnally, you know, so masculine focused, diurnally focused, daytime focused, we can say it in so many ways, like our culture, Western global North culture is literally afraid of the dark, afraid of the night, afraid of the feminine. Um, We can use whatever words we like, whatever words or concepts make sense there. Uh, but we wholesale reject that. And so if we're thinking about the feminine as nature, night, moon, um, primal as the like pre-symbolic language, even just like, you know, um, don't want to equate femininity to biological essentialism, but I do also want to honor that we all do currently, everyone gestates in a womb. That is how, our physical forms come into being. And that is a place where we have our first experiences of sound, but also darkness. And so I want to kind of speak to that because that is a core part of the human experience. Um, and so thinking about, you know, particularly as a, as a man person whose chart is all fire, my chart is just like, though I am a night baby. Um, there's something about, yeah, bringing, masculinity back in touch with feminine principles, but not just back in touch, understanding that those feminine principles are the ground. Like our biological, biologically, we all start off default, default female, and then different things have to get triggered successfully in order for our, for fetuses to develop into babies that will have 
XY chromosomes and the genitals and hormones associated with that at birth. Um, so if we think about that, that like, you know, Hestia, the Greek Vesta, he was first born of, of Kronos's children and last born. The hearth is the first place we go to. She gets the first offering. The hearth, the nurturing feminine is the underlying principle that underpins all things. If you think about the feminine as life force, you know, we even speak about mother nature. Um, so bringing people's awareness to that, I think, does unlock this access to the erotic that the erotic isn't about projecting our sexuality out into the world or our desires out into the world per se, so much as being deeply in touch with being grounded into the earth. And like from there, things can rise up into us and we can tend the sacred fire of the things that like emerge out of our connection to source. I hope that makes sense. It was a big mouthful, but I feel like that was pulling a lot of different really great things. Well, I don't think it's a coincidence that we're recording while Vesta is in Virgo currently. And Vesta is associated with rulership in Virgo. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how you work with transiting Vesta and how you've noticed it show up in your in your own chart. Yeah. So transiting Vesta, I've been only following recently. Vesta is on my ascendant natally, but my IC is in Virgo, so I've definitely mm. been. Um, it's, it hasn't been a coincidence that, that this has all been coming up for me as Vesta transits my IC. I literally created a Vesta altar, and I've started, um, you know, my, my daily Orphic hymns. I start with Hestia. I light the incense for Hestia first. Then I light the, you know, fire safety, daily starting of the fire, um, you know, modern adaptations sometimes, and they accept this. And then I go about my business. So transiting primarily with clients, I'm looking, if I'm going to look at transiting Vesta, I'm looking to see if transiting Vesta is activating angles. And then kind of in the same way that I do other timing techniques, I'm going to look at the kind of overlay of solar return and perfection and see is Vesta in a house that's activated by solar return? Is it with a time Lord? All the usual operations, just as, just as if Vesta were any other planet. Um, and the more that I just lean into Vesta functioning like any other planet, um, the, the more juice I get out of, out of, work, out of working with, uh, with her. Whereas like with Chiron, I would kind of like to vote Chiron in a certain way where I'm like, yeah, I can do some stuff, but it takes so long, like whatever, it's on again, off again. It's it's active, but Vesta is, you know, keep the good enough clip. And um, with the retrogrades, I feel like it's just a, 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 like clean your, clean your altar, <laughs> reset your hearth, clean out the fire pit, um, dive a little bit deeper and slow down. But pretty simply, I think. I, I, oh, bad. <laughs> No, you go ahead. Well, I was just, I was just struck all of a sudden. Like, I love how you bring in the Time Lord because you just made me realize Mercury's my Time Lord this year, and I'm a Virgo rising with Vesta, obviously transiting that. So, I just wanted to say thank you. You just made me like all these downloads. I'm like, well, no wonder I've been obsessed with these topics. So, thank you, thank you yeah. for the little consult. Okay, go, Eliza. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, I just wanted I just wanted to um, explore. So maybe we can use this opportunity to to talk about our our respective needle placements or or potentially what we've seen with clients. But I'm really curious about people's observations around how Vesta has how Vesta manifests in different elements, in different in different um, yeah. So in fire signs, water signs, earth signs, air signs. So Bear, am I right thinking that your Vesta is in Cancer? Is that mm-hmm. correct? Yeah. Yeah. And how about uh, jazz and kestrel? I'm just curious. It'd be cool if we had all four covered, but I don't know if we do. <laughs> Fire. Okay, mine too. Mm-hmm. Mine's in Capricorn. Perfect. Okay, we've, we've got three of the four. It's not, it's not bad. <laughs> no air. <laughs> um, well, Bear, why don't you start us off? Like, Because in some ways, water feels so contrary to fire. Um, and your cancer rising is somehow in a corporeal sense containing all of that, all of those other fire placements you've alluded to. So, so how do, how do you relate to that apparent, and it might only be apparent to that apparent, um, binary or contradiction between fire and water? Like what, what, how has Vesta manifested for you in a water sign? Mm. Me maybe? (laughs) Um, Vesta in a water sign, I feel like they're one of the resounding themes of my 20s um, and being around just always around women. And all, I guess like li- women who are literally in these like priestess roles, I don't know how this didn't occur to me earlier. Um, around, I've been around a lot of women who have you know, become very skilled herbalists and then start holding circle spaces. So being around these folks um, and around that language, been around a lot of women who are like, yo, you need holding space. That's your job. If you're going to be a man in this space, you need to hold space for the feelings here. And like, what do these words mean? I don't like, what is this concept of holding space for emotions? This is abstract and totally beyond me. Is there a task? Put me to work. Like, you know, I've got so much fire. I'm always ready to put me to work. Um, so somehow over my twenties, I guess I, I guess it's kind of a watery word, just osmos through through like you know just going with the flow and being really receptive um you know another water word you know you put a drop of dye in the water and it's there forever so just like listening gathering collecting as water and wet things do um what it means to create with one's energy with one's like emotional availability and like with your vibe uh psychically i guess just like in a watery way to be be um in such a way as to create a space where the folks around feel safe to have their feelings um so it's kind of like a an odd and abstract thing for me to wrap my head around my tradition my traditional chart uh six of the seven visible planets are in fire signs and my chart ruler is in an air sign so there is no other part of my chart that has any access point to what these concepts are but somehow um i guess i must have learned this because people like to as many people will with a cancer rising i'm like you seem nice and sensitive and like you i can tell you about my feelings and like the rest of my chart doesn't understand why but yes you can and it is safe to tell me about your feelings like you know Everything's okay here. <laughs> I love it. I was going to say too, I don't know if this makes sense, but I have mercury and cancer. And so the word mute comes up often 
for me around it. Um, I hear the listening component come out, but it just makes me think that maybe that was a rite of passage or an initiation for you to do the celibacy with it in a water sign, especially because it's in your first house. I don't know. That just kind of spoke to me. And I don't know if that lands, but I just find it really fascinating. Um, and I know it has rulership too, or at least Demetra suggests it has rulership in Scorpio too. So another water sign. Um, yeah. For whatever that's worth. <laughs> oh yeah. You just connected a bunch of the, I'm going to have a little post post podcast to note session with my chart based on that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sweet. <laughs> I got a download from you. <laughs> Sweet wants to go next have you have you looked at the chart of transiting vesta when you were celibate bear i should do that i'm gonna do that right now i'm gonna be okay (laughs) about that like what exactly what was going on maybe while bear's doing that uh jasmine do you want to share your experience of vesta in an earth sign yeah it goes a little bit deeper than that because Vesta is actually squaring my nodes. And so I do see her as this grounding point between my nodes. And I have the North Node in Virgo and the South Node in Pisces. <clears throat> because it, it squares my nodes because Vesta is at zero Capricorn. So it's an out of sign square, but still. Um, and Demetra describes Vesta as she who governed the sacred law of hospitality and Vesta is located in my fifth house of creativity. And a lot of people know this about me, but some of you don't, I own a bar in Houston, Texas. And so my entire life is surrounded and meant to cultivate hospitality. And I think about how, that concept and those themes are very much my grounding points in my life. It's what I always default to. It's what I go back to. It's where my comfort zone is. And um, it is where I do have autonomy and sovereignty. And yeah, and it's these concepts have recently really come online for me. It's not something that I've really thought about when I think about Vesta. But when you start to really analyze and look at how she's showing up astrologically on the angles, for example, or with the nodes or in relationship to the luminaries, and then the association with life experience, then you start to really understand how she shows up and the importance of her and um, how to work with her as well. So. Right now she's transiting my north node <laughs> and we're having this conversation. So the hospitality piece make is just blew my mind wide open mm-hmm. and makes so so much sense. Thinking about both clients that I've I've seen with really prominent Vesta conjunctions to planets or angles, and even my own experience before before jumping into the world of astrology, I was bartending and did have the, you know, got a dipping under the beams mercury and was cancer rising very shy until I got into the industry and had to learn how to just like talk and then like do 
like you you want me to socialize with somebody who's right across to strangers all night long and then somehow bartending like all right cool now i'm now i'm sociable and i can make this space safe for everyone to have booze and have conversation and all these things that's a, such an amazing connection and makes sense too that there's potentially like the hearth fire and sexuality somehow coming together through this like sacred rites of hospitality. Well, and what I'm hearing too with, with Vesta for you, Jasmine, being in an earth sign is it's, it comes through very tangibly, very materially. You're literally giving food and drink to people. It's, mm-hmm. it's, there's a, a transference there. And what is hospitality but making someone feel at home somewhere that's not their home? It's, you're literally creating that hearth, that fire, that home fire for, for someone in a place that's not their home. It's like there is something really alchemical about that, actually, if you think about it obliquely. Right. And my bar is called the flat, which means apartment. Right. Right. <laughs> and it's associated right. with like the entire vibe of the flat is of being in your own home. That's mm. conceptually like what we do. So. And you are a priestess of the flat. Like, you tell me about how you're tending your fig trees, you're wiping them with coconut oil, <laughs> you're, you're clear, you're banishing, you're clearing it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You are tending that, those sacred flames. You're telling everyone my bar secrets, but I, thought, I think, no, I think if every bar owner, you know, cleansed their space every once in a while, they'd be a lot more profitable. <laughs> which I think it has to be done yeah. all the time. Yeah, so I'm, I'm always burning sage in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did you find out about your transiting Vesta there? Oh, yes, it was hilarious. <laughs> I, I'm still tripping out on the flat and like literally creating a bar that is a hearth and earthy Vesta being like, I actually just made the temple itself. Like, that's cool exactly. that you're doing rites. I make the temple. Um, is Vesta was transiting my south node while Saturn was on my ascendant and Jupiter was on my Mars. So I feel like that was just a whole, yeah, whole very clear. Like, <laughs> we're going to expand our sexuality by not. Saturn says no. Absolutely. Saturn was also there with Vesta. Like we're getting <laughs> real serious, kid. And Vesta was like. Oh, this this Libra South Node? No, we're not doing any of that stuff. South Node's in my fourth house too. So yeah, it's like coming through, clearing out the hearth. No, no getting distracted by sex in this lifetime. Make it spiritual first. Then you can go like do serve your serve your tenure, then go explore sexuality. It's so interesting. I love it too. And I don't remember the author's name of and this is such a horrible title, but I'm going to go ahead and say it. Men are from Mars. Women are from Venus. But his path was celibacy, too. And not ejaculating for a long fucking time. Yeah. But we could link to this podcast he was on. I'm talking about. I love Eliza's laughing at me. <laughs> <laughs> not know that i remember seeing those books around when i was a kid and being like oh that's what those symbols mean and then learning about astrology and being like did they take did he take that from is that an astrology book <laughs> it was not an astrology book that is no it's a terrible <laughs> title but his work is not like all horrible he had some really amazing insights 
Everyone's got some amazing insights. <laughs> and some terrible stuff, too. <laughs> yep, that, that is what it is to be a human. Um, totally. <laughs> oh, yeah, that makes sense, though. There is, you know, in the Buddhist tradition, the idea is that, and I know that there are other traditions that, that hold this as well, but, um, you know, to bring it to the, the Virgo, so Virgo, we're talking about Earthy, Vesta, um, and earlier we're talking about Virgo, like potentially being a, uh, like thinking about that glyph you were mentioning, you know, sublimating and bringing the sexual desire back inside rather than projecting it out. Um, that there is something that if we're not, if all of that libidinal energy is harnessed or is at least not like dispersed towards sexually gratifying sexual desire, which arises constantly um, for everyone, as far as I know. Then we have all of that erotic energy to direct towards other things. We can channel that into creating a temple that is like making our place of business a temple, making a temple that functions as a place of business. Um, you know, when I've had periods of celibacy and abstinence, I usually find that like my songwriting just skyrockets and explodes because um, there is so much more energy available. That being said, I also know plenty of people who find that like deliberately engaging sexual energy outside the act of sex. So uh, like people who are doing various types of sex magic, I know like there's, uh, there are some astrologers who have tweeted about it. I won't name them or subtweet them too much here, um, but there's some astrologers who've spoken very publicly about their own uh, masturbation sessions being something that they do to like recharge their batteries um throughout the day so there's like lots of ways to to engage in that i'm curious about y'all and your fire vestas yeah well what signs it in for you castro it's in my eighth house so it's an aries it's an aries yeah yeah so what do you want to start no, I think you should have it on an angle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like like bear vestas on my ascendant. And it's it's the archetype I think that the astrid archetype that I most resonate with in some ways. I resonate very strongly with Pallas Athena as well, but Vesta has been really prominent in my life in different ways. Um, but in fire, like I almost have the sense that Vesta helps contain my fire rather than adding to it, even though it's in a fire sign. I almost have a sense that Vesta is the cauldron around my fire or it's keeping the fire going, but it's also keeping it safely contained. Um, like Bear, my chart's all fire, <laughs> with, the, with the exception of a few placements. And... Um, but that was a surprise to me when I first got into astrology. And it's only been in the last, so I guess the last 10 years or so that it's been clear or more manifest in my personality. When I was younger, I was so shy. Like I was, I would even go so, so far as to say I was, I, I was selectively mute. Like I did not speak at all to anyone who's not my parents or my brother when I was really young. Um, and so that that five, I always have been so introverted and people perceive me as being really shy. And until I was in like a, um, an academic setting and then my competitive, slightly ferocious streak came out. But I do have the sense that Vesta was kind of keeping the fire contained rather than maybe having it burn really hot. Um, 
like I think I have been, I have this one memory (laughs) just in terms of Vesta's association with chastity and with celibacy. I have one really early memory where this is so weird in retrospect, but we were studying, um, I'm in Canada. So we didn't study American history. We studied British history. Essentially (laughs) we studied like ancient British monarchs. Um, and we were learning about Elizabeth I, and we, were, we watched the movie Elizabeth I, who's the, the virgin queen and was exceptionally powerful. And I think actually is a really interesting embodiment of Vesta. I remember my teacher at the time, I'd have no idea what he was thinking, but because I was so shy, maybe he just, he started calling me Elizabeth I. And maybe it's because my name's Eliza, but he made this allusion to me being the virgin queen, which was weird, but I weirdly resonated with it. I was like, yeah, no, there's something about that celibacy and that inward flowing libido and that stoicism that she embodied that I really resonated with as like a 10 year old. (laughs) Um, So I think that in that way, in terms of it being on my ascendant, it has in my past been the first thing people see rather than seeing the Leo rising I have often presented as being more vestal or quiet, introverted, tending the flame somewhere. Um, again, I think that's shifted a bit more recently where I have become a little more gregarious. But yeah, I don't know. How has it showed up for you, Kestrel, in Aries? Yeah, I just find it so interesting because you have such a, a deep focus to an ability to work really hard. Um, so that was coming through. I feel like Vesta has been in a blind spot for me. I really think maybe what I realized speaking with you today, Bear, is I, you know, Mercury's my time lord and Vesta's been transiting through my first house of Virgo. So this awareness has been percolating up and even preparing for today, I started to kind of make more associations with her. Um, Yeah. And so being in her eighth house, I almost feel well, she's opposite Pluto in my chart, and she's also trining my son. So that's a big part of it. And I also was thinking, um, I recently with my husband over the last like 18 months have been building a house and our hearth is actually in um, the place where the sun rises and it's very central to our house. And when we were building our house as well, I was building a lot of herbs um, for Hermes. Yeah, it was like a really big deal to like contain that. And so I've got all these, um, it's, um, is it pink quartz, I think it is, all around my house. Is that right? Yeah, I think that's what it is. Sorry, I'm having a little... Rose quartz. Rose quartz. Thank you. Which makes sense, too, because I have Virgo, or excuse me, Venus in the first house, and I have this huge relationship with Aphrodite. It's like, I'm obsessed with her. Anyhow, I... Did I mention I have her opposite Pluto as well? And so also being as a therapist, I think I've been really dealing with a lot of my own fear and shame and stuff around my own sexuality, but then also being able to elicit that for clients. And this last year, I've really started to do a deep dive into sexology and I've been entertaining getting a certificate and that, and just like not only having my own apprenticeship in awakening to my own eroticism, which really started to pop 
with the transit of Uranus through my eighth house. Thank you very much. <laughs> so I think there's something there, or at least that's what's speaking to me. And then also burnout um, and all the taboo as well. So those I think are some of the themes that have been coming up for me, but I wouldn't say she was the number one I related to, but I am really excited to work with her more or yeah. Oh, I just wanted to say about your Vesta Kestrel is that it being in Aries and Cardinal Fire and you have this ability to initiate these sacred spaces for your clients and every encounter that you have. And so I don't know if you've noticed that about that specific placement in your chart, but it's almost like one of your superpowers and most people can attest to that we get compliments all the time about the podcast and you specifically in the space that you're creating and that we're creating so um i just wanted to give you two thumbs up about that <laughs> and that's how i Aww. see it showing up for you <laughs> thank you but it's in a blind spot right it's yeah. in the eighth house so it's yeah it's doing this work that i can't even like fathom how it's necessarily always touching people yeah um, and you can do it anywhere that's also the cardinal fire piece is that you can be just standing on the street with somebody and <laughs> you know and, it, and you're automatically creating that sacred space between you and that person so thank you anyways Aww. i'm just blowing your horn a little bit be like, I'm so happy to hear you mention both Hermes and Aphrodite. I feel you just spoke to so many different ways that your chart expresses the mythology of Hestia. So like particularly from the Greek notion, right? Hestia as, as one of the Olympians, she was one of the few that Aphrodite didn't have power over. So you're speaking and you said you've got Venus in the first in Virgo. So you've got Hermes Psychopomp who like has this special relationship with Hestia because they're the ones who facilitate the offerings that go into the fire. Like they're the ones associated with the home life. Like, um, so like your ability as a guide and thinking about, you know, what little I, I know about what, my own experience with therapy and then what I little I know about like looking at sex and um, specifically I would imagine that like your Vesta being free from the power of Aphrodite is what would give you the ability to go there because that would require an even more like masterful level of navigating transference and counter transference and like being able to go into like really, really like any, any therapist or any consultant practitioner who doesn't have absolute impeccability, like that's like Vesta level, like commitment to doing that in the most pure way. It's, it would go off the rails so deeply, but it makes sense that also with it being in the eighth house, you're like, no, yeah, I never like, it's hard for me to see, but I just heard you speak. (laughs) <laughs> the most intense literal description of Vesta is like the historical archetype and then playing out in a modern way. That's just so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, no, thank you for reflecting it back to me. And it it's cool how you said the modern piece, because I was wondering when we were talking about her, 
pre-Hellenistic time and her iterations. But I guess I'm wondering for our audience if we have any thoughts of how we can really work with her, this archetype in our modern society and how much everything is changing and how much more fluid it is. And even our sexual orientation, how that can be so fluid through the lifetime, right? With you and different expressions. Does anybody want to speak to that at all? A little bit to wrap up or... I mean, obviously there's more things percolating, but. I think there's definitely something to be said for this moment in time. Just, you know, I, I started my various coming out processes in the early thousands um, as a teenager, just watching and queer activism and like, one. Um, so just watching the way in which people having more, the way in which the conversation around gender, sexuality, um, the problems of historicity, and even being able to access as modern people what different cultures thought about gender and sexuality. Um, all of, I think, as more and more people are visibly out, we see that creating this container that makes like the space of society not this i don't i hesitate to say safe because safety i think is a bit of an illusion there but it makes um certain spaces sacred enough that we can start to have those conversations we're just thinking about the way that like social media has created granted there are these silos and little echo chambers that have their own own negative sides to them but they also create these spaces where people are able to have really authentic conversations about what is upwelling um, that does like facilitate this way that people can, um, you know, that I don't see it as much with men, quite frankly. And I think that has a lot to do with global Northwestern culture. Um, but I do see more and more conversations where people are talking about, you know, even like being, aromantic versus asexual or gray sexual and all like demisexual like when i first engaged it was like glb maybe lgb and then there was a t and then there was a second t and then we added some q's and then we added a whole lot of letters and then it was alphabet soup and now there's even more descriptors of sexuality and as we give language we like give people the power to actually describe the experiences that they're having like so it feels like in some ways, like creating these social temples where people can go and remove themselves from the social scripts around sexuality and gender to actually have their own like chronic, earthy, nocturnal sex, feminine process, like inner quiet um, experience with their true libidinal energy rather than it having to be filtered through um, the lens of patriarchy or the lens of society. And then I think in terms of the average person interacting with Vesta day to day, I think just for me connecting with Hestia as the hearth, like the central thing that we all do, that we can all, all do for one another. And I feel like COVID really illustrated this, like the power of breaking bread with someone is so profound and there are so many cultures that's, that have guest right and rules around like who we share food with when and why we share food and how we do that and so just bringing simple sacredness 
whether it's a prayer you recite because someone recited it over your food, whether it's like, you know, making an, a small, the first bite, I think about offering it to your ancestors or whoever's sacred to you. Like there are these little things or like the first bite and the last bite, the first interaction with fire or something sacred, like let the first thing you do be an act that honors whatever is sacred to you. I feel like that is a way that anybody can tap into Vesta or Hestia. I love all of those recommendations and simply lighting a flame, like some, or lighting a candle, that simple act. You don't need, you don't need a fireplace. You don't need a lot. Um, Before we finish though, we've left out air, Vesta and air signs. So I wonder if we should, I don't want the Vesta and air sign people to be disappointed. (laughs) So maybe we can collectively brainstorm some ways that might manifest. Well, I definitely think, oh, (laughs) well, I was just going to elicit the air and fire, right? It's like really fuel for the fire, but I didn't have much beyond that. So Bear, please jump in. (laughs) I'm just going to say with clients, I've seen it show up in a like commitment, a deep, deep commitment to a specific ideology. And I don't mean that in like a judgy ideologue or ideological way, but that there is a principle or even just integrity, like that one word that, that those clients may not have like a specific, and this is the action. And should anyone ever ask me to do X, the answer is no, but there's just a line where they go like, and then a little, then I hear something in my head or there's this moment and there is just such clarity mentally around the boundaries of what's acceptable and what's not. Um, that seems to be the thing that they, the the few like high, prominent Vestas I've seen in air signs, those folks have held roles where their vision and their clarity of vision and their ability to like, like those are the people who are almost like living embodiments of what a mission statement and a vision statement do for an organization. Um, no amount of anything distracts them from the thing they've seen and that would think like one might think that that would be the fire signs, but I feel like the the fire vestas that y'all are speaking to this ability to like literally harness the creative force and contain and direct the creative force. But these air folks are like, I absolutely understand what is happening. And this understanding is unshakable and uninfluenceable in a way that isn't like rigid or dogmatic. I don't know if I can explain it more articulately than that. I, I think that's perfect. And and again, that that concept of focus as applied to intellectual activity, as applied to just reading or study, research, and even speaking, even that, that relational context or listening. Um, I can imagine, I can imagine Vesta and Air Signs showing up with those skills also. Yeah, and my mind goes to Aquarius too, just like serving humanity just pulling in all the language we've used over the course of this podcast. Do we have anything else to add before we start wrapping up about Vesta? I know there's more we could get into, but in the interests of containment. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm good. Yeah. Yeah, I think containment is a good word for this last thought. I think for folks who maybe don't have a lot of asteroid um, material or resources or references or who don't resonate with the, the magical candle lighting and all of that. 
one thing to think about astrologically, um, as I think about like the Greek relationship, Hestia, who is Vesta, um, was daughter of Kronos. So thinking about Hestia in relationship to your natal Saturn position. So thinking about Saturn in your chart or transiting Saturn, you're working with like containing, you can just ask the question of like, what is Saturn containing? What things does Saturn contain um, that are sacred to me? I think that's a way we can kind of naturally, you start there. I would bet most people would write a, li- a list of bullet points that then would be a description of their natal best position. That's really interesting, creating or following that lineage, that mythological lineage into the birth chart. That's a really interesting exercise for people. So where can people find you, Bear? People can find me um, in a couple different places. <clears throat> My website is psycheandsoulastrology.com for now. Soon it will be myname.com. Um, so look out for announcements for that. In the meantime, I am on Twitter and Instagram as astralids, A-S-T. R A L either a dot or an underscore based on the uh, platform IDS um, like astral and lids like caps um, or you can find me on Patreon slash Bear River R Y V E R um, yeah those are the places for now I'm launching a new website and I'll be everything will change to Bear River over the next couple of weeks cool. Well, which we might actually be launching more in a I don't well, Jasmine might have a better idea of that timing. But people if they can't find if they can't find Psyche and Soul, they should look for Bear River. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, if y'all are putting this on YouTube, then I'll I'll send you the link so you can like at least link to my YouTube channel and awesome. give you all those things. They'll be in the description box below. Yes, exactly. No, we'll put all of it in the show notes. <laughs> Thank you all so much for inviting me on your show and for talking about Vesta. This has been such an amazing way to start the day. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us. Thank I really you for loved your everything. Insights. Yeah, it was just amazing. Yeah, it's been such a pleasure. Big hearts. Yeah. <laughs> and we'd like to thank everyone for being here, and we'll see you next time. Bye. 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 Bye.